Hello and welcome to the latest Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, talking to you here in Jerusalem. We are noting this week the year anniversary of the Abraham Accords, and to discuss its, its uh, significance and meaning is Dr. Moran Zaga, who is a research fellow at the University of Haifa, where she specializes in the Arab world and geopolitics of the Gulf states. Moran is also a policy fellow at MITVIM, the Israeli Institute for Regional Foreign Policies. Moran, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Richard. So if we can start just kind of as a broad kind of look back, I suppose, on the last year um, since the signing of the Accords, what do you think is the most significant achievement in that period? Well, first, I think that the ability of the United Arab Emirates to stand, I would say, even courageously behind this agreement is uh, pretty much impressive because the country had faced a large opposition in the Arab world, in its own neighborhood. So it's a durability that we cannot be taken for granted. Uh, it's also important that the agreement brought not only normalization to the region, but I would say normality. Uh, after a hard decade of, of ISIS, of Arab Spring, uh, we start seeing that the radical forces are kind of diminishing while the pragmatic, we say pragmatic camp is going, uh, is going uh, wider and is growing and Israel is part of that. So it's also an important impact of that agreement. Um, maybe I'll with that, add to that, that uh, from the Israel point of view, Israel is much more connected today to the Middle East than ever. That is obvious. But I think that uh, Israel has made a great shift in a short period of time to adjust itself to the new reality. And I'll explain. Uh, I think that almost every governmental office and many public offices has appointed new uh, figures, new staff, or opened new desks in order to reach out to the Middle East. And that's not only a cognitive change, but it's also an institutional change where Israel is being much more open and looking towards the Middle East and not only to the West. Very interesting. I want to, I'll come back to you later about the point about moderates or the pragmatists kind of defeating the extremists, because that's a very interesting, interesting theme that uh, to, to, to focus on, but I want to ask you just, you, you mentioned the example of the UAE and not to take it for granted. There is a perception perhaps that the main driver of the accords generally is the bilateral relation between Israel and the UAE. Um, do you think that's, uh, that's accurate and do you think there's, uh, there's more that can be done to kind of to shore up the support within the other countries? I, I'm not sure that's accurate because, yeah, of course, that's the thing that we see the most. We see the bilateral ties, they are there, they are tangible, and it's very easy to, to talk about them as uh, many of uh, my colleagues and many uh, statesmen are uh, now uh, kind of wrapping up a year to the agreement. Uh, I see that this is the main thing that people are talking about, but although these bilateral ties are very positive, they're reinforcing the agreement. Let's not forget that these were not the goals of the agreement from the first place. The goal was strategic and the leadership of the UAE and of Israel uh, said it over and over again. 
And um, I think that after this year, we find that strategic dimension uh, being more and more needed in the region. Uh, we all know that the Americans are growing apart from the region. They are not answering security threats. We see that Iran is getting closer than ever uh, to uh, nuclear abilities. Uh, we see that Iran had uh, multiplied, multiplied its, its uh, attacks uh, on the maritime uh, arena and elsewhere, uh, more bodily attacks and more fatal attacks. So Iran is getting much more um, self-confident in the region. And in this reality, the strategic dimension is very, very important. I believe that that was the, the main goal of the agreement when they already understood the, the country of the regions of the region already understood that in the era in the Trump era. And now it's uh, getting even more important than ever. So the bilateral ties going back to your questions are, are important. They're good that they're happening, but we do need to shift our focus to the strategic level and see how can we leverage the new connection, the new alliance to really find an alternative to the American forces that are pretty much leaving us to our own in this region. So just on that, I mean, the, the kind of focusing on those strategic goals, what do you think that uh, Israel and the, uh, and, and the Emirates and the other partners within the Accords can do to face the, uh, the challenge, both of kind of Iran's uh, regional agenda and their nuclear project? Of course, uh, first thing, they need to have an agenda. They need to have a, a, a planned strategy. They need to be aligned in this strategy. And this is not, not what's happening today. Today, we see some countries that are opening a dialogue with Iran and open and direct dialogues, such as Saudi Arabia. The UAE has done that in the last three years or so, and Israel is not. So um, we see that there is a, a divergence between these countries. So we cannot really call it an alliance yet. Um, an alliance needs a aligned strategy. So that's not mm -hmm. right now. I mean, you, you mentioned, I mean, both the, the we saw was it last week when the, uh, the UAE um, foreign minister meeting with his Iranian counterpart. Um, and yet we're talking in the context of their agreements with Israel. How do they are able to, uh, as the phrase is, dance at both weddings? Yes, yeah, so um, there is a good and a bad side, bad side to that. On the good side, uh, the UAE can be a mediator and it can achieve probably uh, more um, uh, more goals in talking directly with Iran than with uh, through moderators. But the bad side is that as more people tend to talk directly to Iran and more uh, sorry countries and leaders tend to talk more uh, directly and openly with Iran, it gives Iran more strength, political status, and um, and it's showing really that the country has no other option than to talk directly with Iran. So uh, I think that these are the two sides of this coin. And, um, and uh, from the Israel, Israel's point of view, again, it might, be, it might benefit Iran's channel um, with the UAE, but uh, as a whole, as a whole uh, we need much more aligned strategy with the UAE against Iran.
And and what do you make of the uh, the talks of uh, between the Saudi Arabia and Iran? Is that uh, do you think those, that rapprochement is uh, is realistic? Is viable? Again, I think that uh, Iran uh, that so Saudi Arabia understood that it has no other option than going through the direct channel, and that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's a bad thing <laughs> because. Um, after so many years as that Saudi Arabia led the flag of antagonism to Iran, of opposition to Iran, now it's going directly to its arms. So uh, I don't see any good um, uh, uh, benefits coming from that channel. On the long run, we don't, we don't see that Iran offers a solution to any of the Arab Gulf countries. Let me change tack slightly for a, for a moment. Um, again, I take back to the to the formulation of the Abraham Accords because one of the, the I suppose the myths um, going around at the time was that uh, such normalization between Israel and the Arab world would be impossible unless there was progress on the Palestinian track. My question now is kind of obviously that's been proved false with the with the fact that they have been uh, maintained and they remain. Uh, uh, relatively stable and durable, the, the alliances. What can be done to incentivize the Palestinians to bring them into this fold as well? As much as I would like to see uh, options or opportunities or potential for um, bringing the Palestinians into these uh, Abraham Accords, at this point, I find it unfortunately very, very challenging. Um, the opposition, or I would say even the antagonism in the Palestinian arena towards the agreements and towards the United Arab Emirates itself. The leadership is very, very high. And, uh, uh, and at this point in time, um, the, personal, uh, the personal dimension uh, of rivalry between uh, the Palestinian leadership and the Emirati leadership just cannot, I, I, I cannot see that happening with, uh, with these leaders. But mm. long run, in the long run, I do see many opportunities. And this is, the re this is another reason, not only Iran, but this is another reason why I think that the UAE wanted to see itself in this arena of Israeli-Palestinian arena. It's a very strategic, very important um, uh, uh, location to the UAE and an important issue for the UAE to, to solve as a known uh, to be broker, known mediator in the Middle East and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, I will not be surprised to see strategic investments uh, of the Emirates in Gaza or in the West Bank not only, you know, uh, many, many are going to the humanitarian uh, solution or to um, economic enterprises, but, but here I think that the Emiratis would, would like to see themselves more deeply involved, meaning in peace talks, in strategic investments, such as building a port uh, through its uh, DP wall and, um, and that's the kind of strategy that I hear from the Emirati leadership today. But as I also hear from the leadership is that they are, they're waiting. They're waiting for the leadership to, to change in Ramallah. And I think that then, only then they will make this step forward. Also, there is another point. They can put a pressure on Israel as they've proven that they can do uh, when they stop the annexation. 
But also now, imagine every escalation and every decision that Israel would make towards the Palestinian, the UAE has a saying now because it's deeply involved with Israel. And now it has um, um, the stick and the carrot, as we say. That's very interesting in terms of kind of their, their influence over the uh, over the, the direction of travel for Israel. I mean, we've seen. We, I mean, I'd love to take your take your your opinion on this. We've seen, a, I would say, a change of tone from the, um, with the with the current new government with regard to the Palestinian. We've seen the first time Defense Minister Gantz meeting with Abbas, um, and uh, and and just early this week, Foreign Minister Lapid announcing kind of a new plan to uh, to galvanize the and improve the. Uh, the Gaza economy. Just as as, a, as your perspective on kind of on analysing the Israeli government, um, how significant do you think these moves are? And whilst at the same time we've got uh, um, Prime Minister Bennett and his and his colleagues saying that there'll be no political talks, can these can these economic uh, um, we used to call them confidence building measures kind of can they be substantial enough to uh, to kind of make some progress? First of all, very much. The meetings are very significant, very significant cognitive steps to both sides. After years of separation and years of discommunication between the sides, I think it's very important to highlight the fact that there are uh, that there are meetings and the world is not falling apart. You know, so that's a big change and. Uh, and, and I think that this is something that uh, the Israeli government is doing smartly because we know it's divided in its uh, worldviews, but those who can and those who feel that they can, um, that they have the support of the camp behind them, they go to meetings, they initiate meetings, and the Palestinians are, are proving that they are willing to meet with the Israeli side. So uh, it means that there is a potential there and it's very good for the, the people, uh, the nations see that, uh, that the, the leaders are starting to meet again, to, be, to, to communicate with each other again. So that's a significant change, positive change. Also, uh, Lapid's plan uh, to Gaza. I, I fully agree that the Israeli government should have a plan. We're used to so many years of spontaneous policymaking and that <laughs> has to be changed. So um, I think that on that aspect, the government is going in the right direction. I mean, the other area where kind of this new government has reset relations most significantly has been with kind of Israel's, I would argue, kind of Israel's closest strategic allies, um, both Jordan and Egypt. And we, we know that uh, Bennett uh, just yesterday had a very, what seemed at least from the media coverage, a very positive and warm meeting with uh, with Egyptian President Sisi. Um, I mean, just 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 how significant do you think these 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 ties are that, that have endured, obviously, with in Egypt's case, 40 years of cold peace. And just yesterday, they started to talk about um, the development of tourism and potential trade. Do you think there is a potential to uh, to, to to warm up the cold peace? Yes, well, I'm known to be uh, optimistic, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel that it's first the, the, the relations with Egypt and, and Jordan, as old as they were, they're very much important. Uh, remember, these are less two enemies for Israel. These are less two fronts to, 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 uh, to be threatened from. So uh, that, that's one aspect. Uh, but of course, we all want this peace to become warm uh, as it started. So uh, this is a great step toward this uh, goal. I think that these are two important countries to Israel geopolitically. 
uh, any travel troublesome we have in Jordan or in Egypt would immediately affect, affect in Israel. And um, they're also important from uh, the Palestinian point of view, and there will be a solution to any, any agreement in the future. Uh, they will be part of the solution. So uh, um, I think that the new government understand that. I think that they are trying to, and not for nothing, to strengthen these relations and, and to, to prove that they can be uh, not only um, treaties on paper, but, uh, but, but treaties with content. Building on what is now developing, let's say between mm -hmm. Israel and the, uh, and the, uh, and the, and the Emirates, um, mm -hmm. are, there any, are there any scope, regional projects or otherwise, of which Egypt and Jordan could also join Israel and the Emirates and kind of um, expand it to a multi, multilateral level? Yes, of course. There are so many because now that the region is being opened to Israel and uh, I was starting our conversation with talking about the connectivity, connectivity mm. of Israel in space. So I think that here we see Jordan and Egypt, which are neighbors, uh, uh, playing a very important part in uh, building this connectivity and even benefiting from connectivity. For example, uh, that's not a new trend, but that will be a very much more intense trend. The trade from Israel, from the port of Haifa, from the port of Ashdod, to the Gulf countries inland through Jordan. So mm. uh, Jordan is uh, is is, is a great and important partner in terms of trade, um, also in terms of uh, scientific scientific uh, uh, um, projects of how to bring uh, how to deal with climate change, how, uh, desalinated waters, and um, uh, food security. So these are things that things that we know that they are heart of the bilateral ties between Israel and the UAE today. And I know that uh, the country, both countries has interest in adding uh, regional, other regional uh, countries into their prospects of this project. So in terms of Egypt and Israel, I think that the uh, Eilat Ashdod pipeline, which is now conflictual, um, can, can, can have an alternative uh, in a solution with Egypt, that's an option um, because the Emiratis want to bypass the Suez Canal and, that's, and, and, and Egypt has its Sumed, Israel has its own pipeline. But if Israel and Egypt will uh, find a joint solution of how to how to uh, navigate this uh, um, um, this material with, with without causing pollution? That would be a great achievement and a great partnership in terms of Abraham Accords. And there are, of course, many other issues in terms of, uh, as I said, strategic issues that are important, not only economic. If I can just widen the circle uh, slightly slightly further out of our region, and with my uh, British hat on. Do you think there's a role for the UK to play within the Abraham Accords? I think that many countries has a role in rethinking about the Middle East. And I know that the British government has done so or is starting to do so. Uh, um, I think that now when, when, when the Middle East offers new uh, connections, 
and new um, settings, let's say, the European countries and such as uh, and such as is doing can offer now a solution of greater connectivity. And I'll give you just two examples that we see how the US is trying to bring a greater connectivity that is also taking Palestinian into, into account in this rethinking about the Middle East. One is the Merck uh, Foundation that is funding, uh, funding research, uh, um, cross-border research between researchers in Israel and the Arab world. Uh, that could be uh, the Palestinian territories, that could be Morocco, that could be uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE. So uh, 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 where, where intellectual meets uh, uh, cross-border people-to-people uh, project, I think that's, that's the mere um, uh, essence of, of building a warm peace. Another facilitator of the agreements is uh, what we see now called as uh, the Abraham Accords Institute, I believe. Um, and this is something that is very important in terms of facilitating uh, a new project that want to develop in the region, uh, uh, first bilaterally, but later uh, multilaterally. So these are the, the kind of initiatives that Britain and other countries can, 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 can join to or can, can, can um, uh, develop on their own. And the region need, needs, um, needs these facilitators. It needs these uh, moderators, even though the UAE and Israel has now a great connection. I think that there is a great place for other forces to, to, to join in and to uh, facilitate these new relations. Jimmy, just a couple of last questions. What are the signposts perhaps to be looking out for in the next 12 months, the developments we can expect to see within the context of the Accords? Well, I see the threat from Iran, uh, from Iran, as I said earlier, is getting much more immediate and uh, the countries will be much more troubled by, by this issue. So I think that the, the, we will see a shift. We will see a shift from an economic focus to uh, a political, strategic, uh, diplomatic focus, uh, I believe. Uh, but do you, I mean, but do, do you think that the, uh, the, the Emirates also share that same urgency that the Israelis do? Yes, uh, I think that they approach the Iranians as they understood that uh, they have no other alternative as the Americans wouldn't do that. So mm. um, th that was out of no options. But now if they see that they will have an option on the Israeli-Saudi-Emirati axis, they will act on that axis. So there, there are, uh, I see that they are inspecting their, um, their options or the bag of uh, potential uh, ways to, to overcome this issue. And they're, they're, they are threatened not less than Israel from uh, Iranian uh, nuclear project. And not only from that, from Iranian um, uh, and its proxies um, and te terror attacks. And so uh, the, the Emirates, uh, the United Arab Emirates, it suffered suffered a great deal from um, from these attacks after years of, of stability, after years of, uh, of of zero terror attacks. Now its vessels are being bombed, 
and um, and and the campaign in Yemen was proven to be uh, very bad from for the UAE. So now it's kind of shifting its way to see how they can move to solutions and not to uh, uh, confrontations. And one one final question, kind of the the the, the ongoing speculation, I suppose, of other with other countries will join will also kind of sign peace agreements or normalization agreements with Israel. How do you see those uh, those prospects uh, developing over the next uh, um, year or so ahead? Well, even in the first year, I've never been one of those uh, gamblers. <laughs> and I can't really, um, I can't really suspect any country that will join in first. Uh, if it will be Qatar or if it will be Saudi Arabia. Each country has its own uh, incentives, has its own interest, and has its own pace um, in 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 joining forces openly with Israel. Uh, but at this very point, I see it's still far from being realized, still far. Uh, but as we know, in the Middle East, you can, uh, you, you will always have to expect the unexpected, as Itamar Rabinovich, I think, said. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, in a short period of time, we've covered a lot of ground. So, Moran, thank you very much indeed uh, for your insights today. Most appreciated. Thank you very much.